head on over to Patreon. Go to patreon.com forward slash blackgirlnerds. Patreon is a place where you can support us on a monthly basis. We're asking for all of our listeners and supporters of BGN to help with monthly donations to help with various things, such as podcast expenses, site maintenance, and also traveling expenses. So go to patreon.com forward slash blackgirlnerds. And thank you for your support. This is Francesca Ramsey, but everyone online knows me as Cheska Lee, and you are listening to the Black Girl Nerds Podcast, and it's dope. My name's Greg Pock. I'm the writer of Totally Awesome Hulk and Kingsway West, and I've got a new Kickstarter for a book of Kickstarter tips called Kickstarter Secrets. Feel free to check that out. But most importantly, you are listening to the Black Girl Nerds Podcast, and it is awesome. We are the Lucas Bros, and we were just on Black Girl Nerd Podcast, and it's fantastic. And listen to it every every day, every hour, because they are awesome. Hi, I'm Andre Meadows. I have a YouTube channel, Black Nerd Comedy. Have you heard of it? Don't matter, because you are listening to the Black Girl Nerds Podcast, the best podcast in the whole world that I'm doing a promo for right now. Boom! tuning in to episode 72 of the Black Girl Nerds podcast. My name is Jamie and I am your host. This episode is titled Joy Bryant, Underground, and Malik for Play. Three segments. In our first segment, we invite actress Joy Bryant. You know her best from films such as Antoine Fisher and the hit TV show Parenthood. And she talks about her Bronx roots, the entertainment industry, And she also gets into why she decided not to have children. And this was Joy's very first podcast. We are so grateful that she chose our platform to do her first podcast interview on. That segment is co-hosted by KB, Cynthia, and Joy. In our second segment, I did a one-on-one interview with Misha Green. Misha Green is the co-creator of the hit TV series Underground, which you can catch on WGN America. Misha reveals what compelled her to create the show, and also why viewers should pay attention to a show about the Underground Railroad. Very interesting, very timely. The series finale comes up next week. 
So if you are an underground fan, you're going to really love this segment. And in our third segment, we invite Malik Forte. Malik, also known as Malik for Play, on all of his social medias, including Twitch. He's a gamer and currently doing editorials for Nerdist. And he also has his own company under Crewham. He talks to us about gaming and geeks out over his favorite video games of all time. And that is co-hosted by KB, Kayla, and Gabby. So thanks for tuning in. I think you're going to love it. And be sure to give us hearts on SoundCloud. Give us a rating on iTunes. Your ratings do matter in that space. And also on Stitcher Radio, you can find us there. And thank you again. Spread the word. Tell everybody about the Black Girl Nerds podcast. And to everyone out there that always tweets the handle at Black Girl Nerds or at BGM Podcast whenever someone asks what your favorite podcasts are to listen to, I just want to say thank you very much. I acknowledge that. I am grateful for that. And we work very hard to put these shows together and make sure these are really good quality episodes for you to listen to and to enjoy. So the fact that you are giving us shout outs on social media is always appreciated. So episode 72, Joy Bryant, Underground and Malik for Play coming at you. Actress Joy Bryant is originally from the Boogie Down Bronx. She's a former fashion model and has appeared on TV shows such as Parenthood and currently now on Rosewood. She's also appeared in such films as Welcome Home Roscoe Jenkins, Honey, and Antoine Fisher. Joy Bryant is also a graduate of Yale University and a self-declared black girl nerd. And Joy also is a fashion designer and the owner of BasicTerrain.com, where you can find comfortable fashion wear. Welcome to this segment of the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. My name is Jamie. I am your host. This is an incredibly exciting interview that we have ahead for you guys. If you are a fan of shows like Parenthood and films such as About Last Night and Honey and also currently Rosewood TV show, then you're going to be very excited because we have the one and the only Joy Bryant on our podcast. (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. That was like one of the best intros ever. Thank you. Aww. We're such fans. Thank you so much for coming on our show. And we have lovely co-hosts, Cynthia KB and Joy. Thank you, ladies, for coming on. Thank you very much for having us. Yeah, so, Joy, you know, you have been in Hollywood for over a decade with some of the biggest... (laughs) 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 That's a compliment, though. I know, no, I I, I take it as a compliment. It's just so really funny to me. I'm like, yeah, no, actually, yeah. 15, 15 years. 15 years. You have sustainability. Yes. That, that's a good thing. That is a wonderful thing. I'm very lucky to have that in this <laughs> day and age. And you, you've worked with some of the biggest talents in the industry. 
I wanted to know what brought you to acting and making the decision to go to Hollywood to pursue your acting career. Well, I was a model before my Hollywood days. And actually, I'll back up even before that. I was at Yale and I dropped out of Yale at the end of my sophomore year to be a model. And I never, acting wasn't something that I ever thought about. It wasn't, I mean, honestly, I, I didn't grow up wanting to be an actor. Yeah, I mean, I didn't obviously see anything wrong with it. It just wasn't really kind of where my head was. I thought that I was definitely going to be on some kind of academic thing for a while, but life Life takes you through different changes and stuff, right? So, I mean, I, I dropped out of Yale. I thought I was going to be an economics major for some reason, and I hate math, and I just I don't even know why. I dropped out, and I started modeling. And from modeling, I'd be on set just kind of goofing off and stuff, and people would be like, oh, wow, you should be an actor. And I'm like, why? What? What are you talking about? I went to an I, – I sat in on an acting class with a friend just on – because I, I was like, oh, wow, I don't got nothing else to do. I'll, I'll come come with you to class. And I sat in class, I'm like, whoa, this is really cool. And I, I took classes with a really, really, one of the greatest teachers just in general I've ever had in my life, Tony Greco. I, I started studying with him for about a year and a half as I was still modeling full time, not really knowing if acting, not looking at acting as, as a path for me to, to, to follow or career or anything, but just sort of enjoying being in class and sort of the things that you discover in this art form. And I was already with like a, I was already with a commercial agency because I was an actor. They also had a theatrical division. Yeah. From there, I I kind of, um, I went on a audition for, for Carmen, the hip hopper with Beyonce. And then I got it. It was like, Oh, okay. I guess I'm doing this now. And then I, I started acting. And I mean, that was in 2001. That was the same year that I got Antoine Fisher, but I was still modeling. Right. That's kind of how I started. I kind of stumbled into it. And I think for me, I just, my whole life has just been, I see a opportunity or a door open and I go in sometimes not completely blind, but I go in nevertheless and I take it from there. And that's kind of how my career as an actor, got started. Yeah. <laughs> that's phenomenal. That's awesome. And to have your very first film be a film with Beyonce, that's got to be pretty overwhelming. <laughs> yeah, Beyonce, Most Deaf, Rod Digger, yeah. Makai Pfeiffer. Like, yeah, yeah. And then after that, I well, Honey wasn't until the year after. Later on that summer is when I got Antoine Fisher, which was like a huge, was was perhaps the thing that really put me on the map very early on in my, at the start of my career. So, um, I was lucky. <laughs> I was very, very lucky because this, this is a, it's a very tough business, but I mean, getting into Yale is tough business. Being a model and, or having a career as a model, cause you can say you're a model, but having a career as a model, have a career, those are tough businesses. I guess that's not kind of my MO. I got to go for the hard shit, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Jumping the deep end. I don't know how to swim. Whatever. Well, we're so glad that you did that because so many projects that you've worked on were fans of. You've done a number of films as well as TV projects. 
mentioned your resume earlier. You've done movies like Honey, Antoine Fisher, and then TV shows like Parenthood and now Rosewood. Do you prefer one medium over the other? And do you have a favorite project that you've worked on? I just want to work, you know? So it's like whatever is cool, whatever speaks to me is what I want to do. And that can be in any form, really. There's something that I read that's a film or TV, whatever. If it resonates with me and I can, and I dig it, that's what I want to go for. I think in terms of roles, well, what I'm about to, I actually start work tomorrow on something that I'm really excited about. It's an Amazon show called Good Girls Revolt. I play Eleanor Holmes Norton when she was uh, at the ACLU in like 1969, 1970. You know, she's she's currently D.C. Congresswoman. And so I play her back then. And that's a role that I, I read the book. The book Good Girls Revolt came out maybe about three, maybe now four years ago, I think. And it tells a story about the uh, this this landmark class action suit, first of its kind with uh, sexual discrimination. The women that worked at Newsweek, they brought against Newsweek. And Eleanor Holmes Norton was the lawyer, was the first lawyer they hired to take on the case. And they subsequently after that, it basically broke the glass ceiling of women in the workplace, women in the upper echelons of media and corporations. And I read the book, also entitled Good Girls Revolt, and I'm like, wow, someone has to, I hope someone please does a story and I have to play Eleanor. Turns out one of my really good friends and mentors, Linda Opes, when I went to show her the book, cause I'm like, oh wow, she should do this because like this is right up her alley. Turns out she had already optioned the rights to the book. And three years later, we're shooting the pilot. Wow. So, you know, wow. that's something where it's like, it's something that I read, something that I wanted and it actually worked out. Cause that doesn't always happen. That's something. So I, I actually start work. We're, we're shooting. The series got picked up. So I start work on that tomorrow. Kind of looking back at, at the things that I've done. I mean, I, what's awesome is that I've, I've learned so much from everything that I've done, even the things that I may not have liked when I was doing them or maybe didn't turn out the way that I thought they would. Cause you know, you, you read something, and and sometimes things don't turn out the way that you, you know, it should or you think it's going to. But everything is a learning lesson. Even when I've had miserable experiences, I can now look back and I'm like, oh, yeah, okay. I'm not going to do that shit again. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, I think one of the other things that I, that I, that I, that's one of my favorite things that I've done, aside from, like, I mean, parenthood, I can't even, I mean, that's just like a no-brainer. Probably, like, the best gig I've ever had in this business for so many, for like every possible reason, the people create the, the creatively, the, the, you know, the family unit that we, that we formed. And also my schedule was pretty sweet on that. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, and it shot 12 minutes from my house. It was just like so too perfect. But one of the other things that I really loved was like, for instance, like welcome home Roscoe Jenkins that I, did some years back with Martin Lawrence, which is kind of one of the first comedy things that I did. I love to go down that lane more, I think. Well, no, for sure. But I also met my husband on that, on that movie. So I guess that's kind of special. He's a cutie, by the way. 
He's a cutie patootie, that one. He's he's an identical twin, too, by the way. Oh, really? Oh, wow. And his twin brother, because my husband's a stuntman, his twin brother is one of the biggest stunt coordinators in the business. And there's not very many black stunt coordinators in the business. There might, there's not really, there's a few, I think. But he's, he's just in general, he's one of the, the, the biggest coordinators out there. And yeah. And that's actually how I met my husband because my brother in law was teaching me some, like, something like how to slide in the first base or something like that. Not metaphorically or figuratively, but literally. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, um, and yeah, so that's how we met. But yeah, so that's, yeah, my husband's pretty, um, uh, he's pretty cute. <laughs> <laughs> He's kind of cute. Well, it's KB here. Question. So I recently read an article that you wrote about your decision not to have children. Mm -hmm. And I really appreciated your transparency and vulnerability in that piece. What prompted you to share something so personal about a private family decision? Well, I wanted to, I I think one, it's like, I just got tired of hearing people ask me the same damn freaking questions over and over again. And I think I wrote it, wrote it out of part frustration and annoyance. And, and that's even with people that I know. So, you know, so, I mean, it's, it's odd, but it actually happens that people who I don't know have said those things to me. Like, why don't you, you know, or, or questioned my decisions, you know, which I find odd. It's like, you don't even know me. Why do you care? But then when it's people that do know you or know you enough or know you a little bit, it's sort of like, you know, people putting well-meaning, you know, no one's malicious about it, but people putting their own spin on what you should do, like well, what's good for, for them is good for you automatically, which is so ridiculous. And so it was just basically no one needs me to preach about feminism. I can only kind of talk about it from how it affects me or, or how I relate to it. And I think that as modern women, one of the things that we've been fighting for for so long is this choice to decide whether or not, not just when, so in terms of you know birth, birth control or abortion or anything like that, but like, if, you know, that's a choice too, you know, I choose not to, and that should be okay, and that shouldn't be questioned by anyone, and I find it really odd that that was often questioned by other women, you know, and so I think part of it was kind of a part manifesto of Shut the fuck up. Exactly. You know, like it doesn't, I don't, I don't judge. You know, I'm not one who's like, oh, why are you having kids? You know, this overpopulation or whatever. There are people like that. And that's cool. I respect everyone's choices to do their thing. Respect mine and respect others. And we're so conditioned to these traditional roles. And I think that was a challenge to, to other women to, you know, we all have to think differently. The fact that, a woman who I respect, who deems herself a feminist, actually said to me, just give him a baby. I was, like, wrecked by that. Oh, wow. Wow. <laughs> like, really? Like, I mean, I'm still looking at her side eye, but I'm getting over it. But, you know, that that's what it is. And, and why? what would make a woman like that say that to another woman? Because she herself is conditioned to think that we are supposed to do what? Exactly. You know? Mm-hmm. Um it was me voicing my frustration. It was a challenge to for everyone to think differently. It was sort of a manifesto. It was a screed. <laughs> and also, it's also just me kind of owning it as well. 
like, it's okay. You know, like many women have expressed this to me um, after having read the piece that like, wow, you know, for so long I felt something was wrong with me that I didn't want that, you know? And I was one of those people too. It's like, I remember being like, maybe something is wrong with me. Like what's wrong with me that I, I don't want that. Like, I really don't want that. So everyone seems to know what, what's best for me, even though everyone trusts me when I make my other decisions about career or this or that. But that one thing, I don't know, right? That, that's one thing that I don't know about myself is like, I'm, I'm going to be 42 years old. I think I might know if I want to have kids or not. <laughs> right. Exactly. You know? My eggs are too damn old to be freezing, so don't tell me to do that shit either. Shut up. <laughs> like, I'm like, don't nobody want to freeze no 40, 40 year old eggs. B, I should have did that in 27, and I don't care. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? So, and you know, I asked my husband if he were, because I, I wasn't going to do it if he didn't feel comfortable, because I'm also, you know, I'm also sharing his take on it as well. And if he didn't feel comfortable with me sharing it, I wouldn't have done it. But he was, because that's the kind of dude he is. So to be able to have that, and then for it to be on Lenny, which is such an incredible platform and an incredible site, was just, it was just amazing. And I, I didn't really, I didn't really anticipate the response. And it's been just amazing and wonderful. And one of the coolest things or a highlights of my life, high points of my life, is to have other women say to me that something that I wrote, like that they could relate to it, or that I what I wrote was something they've been feeling all along but couldn't put couldn't express it or put it into words or didn't feel comfortable or didn't feel like they could say that. And now this is sort of helping them express it or, or take ownership of it. That's incredible. I don't know. I mean, if I never write anything else, just the fact that that's something that that has affected people in that way is just like incredible. I loved it. So thank you for sharing that. And so uh, just switching gears a little bit, mm-hmm. I'm a huge fan. So one of my favorite shows <laughs> is Parenthood. I mean, it is. I like, I love Parenthood and I loved Friday Night Lights. So I wasn't surprised that I would love Parenthood as much as I did. I love the relationship between Jasmine and Crosby. I thought it was, you know, very, very just real and unique and challenging. And they worked through a lot of issues. Yes. So I have to know um, <laughs> what prompted you to take the role and how did Jasmine, how did that particular character challenge you as an actress? I took the role because they asked me. <laughs> um, they asked me and I was like, oh yeah, this is really cool. This is really dope. I, I mean, it was, it was pretty much a no brainer. I mean, I think it's like, it's great when you things like that come across and they don't come very often. Um, I don't care who you are, you know, like when those pieces come across your, come across your path that are just like a no, you don't, it's like, yes, it's automatic. It's like, you don't have to think about it. You know, initially I, I don't think I wasn't initially going to be on for like, I wasn't initially like a series regular and they may be one rather soon in it. So just so, so to be a part of that family and that whole experience I mean it was every day was a um every day was an acting class <laughs> like a fun acting class and I learned a lot I mean, I, I mean while I was on I mean I was on that show for six years and my life as life 
does when, you know, given the span of time or whatever, you go through many changes and many ups and downs. And I definitely experienced that while the show was going on. All of that combined with the show, I feel, just helped me to have a, a better relationship with myself and also a better understanding of parenthood, you know, itself, because here I am still sort of like, I mean, at that time, I hadn't, I wasn't sure, I hadn't declared that I don't want to have kids, you know, I just knew the sort of like, eh, I'm not really tripping on it, I'm not really, you know, I was sort of like, eh, whatever. I was also experiencing some major shifts in my life personally because of my own relationship to my own mother and how complicated that was and the thing, the ups and downs that I that I went through and, and sort of coming to terms with a lot of hard truths, you know, and then also my mother dying um, while I was on the show. But it came on the heels of me coming to an understanding of what our issues were and how I can move forward with grace. So after that, that sort of, I don't know, I think that experience definitely changed me for the better in terms of having a deeper relationship with myself, I was able to unload some bags that I've been carrying around for a really long time and I didn't know. Mm-hmm. And then that affected how I approached everything, how I approached my life, how I approached, and maybe, and maybe people didn't see that, but for me, I, I noticed the shift. So how I approached my life and then how I approach my work as well. And then that understanding of, in terms of being a parent, I wasn't one myself, I just played one on TV understanding that like you know sometimes even well-intentioned people make really shitty choices when it comes to the lives of their offspring you know and sometimes people are monsters and a lot of times they're not I don't know having that kind of awareness I don't know just sort of just changed how I approached the work because then I, I just felt more relaxed in myself and then things were just easier for me just across the board. I'm not sure if I'm answering your question or not, but that's, I think no, that, that the biggest challenge was like me. Yeah. And I'll be honest. There's not one, one single episode of parenthood that I watched and I wasn't in tears. I mean, I could literally relate to something from every single episode. Thank so, you. Yeah. Well, that was, you know what? Like, I mean, that, and that's the great thing about when you work with people who are really, really dope and really good at what they do. I mean, everybody on that show was on point. Yeah. Even the kids, man. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Even the yes. kids. Like, man, we, Dax and I used to always joke about how Tyree, who played, um, Jabbar, like he would just straight up just steal a scene and do anything. Like there was, I remember once, I forgot which episode or whatever it was, but it was like a scene where he was just in the background. So, like, Dax and I are in the foreground. We're doing our thing. And he's in the background just riding this little tricycle back and forth. We're like, this little motherfucker is stealing the scene. He ain't doing nothing. He's not even doing nothing. He didn't say a word. He's in the floor. He's all the way in the back. And how did he just, like, he just, like, obliterated us. So, you step on a scene like that, you step your game up, you have to. You have to. I always use this analogy. It was the same thing people always ask me. Oh, what was it like working with Denzel? This is back, like, when I first, and I'm like, well... I mean, because I was, like, super green back then, right? I had no clue. You step on a scene with someone like that, it's like, I would equate it to, just to use a sports analogy, I mean, I don't think I would step it up playing against the arena, so I'm just going to use a basketball analogy. <laughs> like, if I'm, like, you know, like, if on a court Jordan and you're a mediocre basketball player, you're going to elevate your play because it's Michael Jordan. I mean, this is, like, I'm, I'm dating myself because I know that's not like, I mean, LeBron, okay? I know for the young people. 
But my time is like Michael Jordan, right? But you step on a, but you step on a scene with somebody of that caliber or people who are like, who are really on point, it's going to challenge you. It's going to help you. It's going to, it's going to, it's going to affect your level of play. You got to step up automatically. And that's a great thing, you know, to work with people who are, um, inspiring or people who you can learn from. That's why I want to surround myself by people like that to challenge me to, to do better. So most of my scenes were with Dak and he was the best acting partner you could ever hope for. Um, he's also a really great director and he did direct some episodes of the show and he's obviously going on to directing, to directing many things. He just finished a film recently. I lucked out. I've, I got the best acting buddy partner in crime and I learned so much from him and I just learned so much from everyone around there. I'm glad that I was in a place within myself to be able to take that in and really just take it in. Cause you know, sometimes those things come around, but if you're not in the right spot to really receive it, you miss the lesson, you know? Yeah. I'm glad that I, my ears were cleaned out by that point. Joy, <laughs> <You know? laughs> this is Cynthia, by the way. Hello. <laughs> and one of the things I really like about you and what it is that you do, just from what you told us earlier, where it's like you, you like to do whatever, you know, you just you like yeah. to do stuff. One of the really cool things about you is that. Tell me. There, there's I mean. not like, I mean, <laughs> there's not one genre that I haven't seen you in, at, at least that I know of. Like Action. I, I, action? Yeah, I don't think I was in an action thing. Well, you what still got that? time, girl. Oh, yes. Yes, Jack. Yes. And, I th- and I think that's, that is very essential for an artist and an actress especially. So I wanted to know, what is your favorite genre that you've worked in? And what is the type of character that you like to play? Because I know with actresses and actors in general, they have this character that they love to go towards because they probably relate to them more or they just like to challenge themselves a little bit or they like their personality. So what kind of genre, what's your favorite genre to to be in and what's your favorite character to play? Well, I would definitely like to play more in the comedy genre. It's funny because when, when, I mean, Carmen was, I don't know, well, I mean, it's, a, it's a hip hop, it's a musical, so it's not really a comedy or whatever, but like, there were, there were definitely some light, there were definitely a lot of light moments that we had a lot of fun, right? But, you know, I went from like Antoine Fisher and then we did Honey and stuff and it was a little kind of, you know, I was kind of a little bit of a comic kind of relief kind of thing in that, but I feel like that's a path that I would like to travel more on. It's funny, one of, like, a lot of my friends are like, damn, son, like, you need to do some more. Not to say that I'm like funny as hell and shit or whatever, but yeah. Right. <laughs> but it's just, it's just something that I would definitely like to explore more of. When it comes to a type of character, it's seeming like, well, I, and I, I don't know if this is, if this is reflected in all of the choices that, that I've made over the years because, you know, things come along and, and they're right at the time. And, and I don't know. I, I, I think that as time's gone on, I've gotten older. I feel like I'm gravitating more towards characters that resonate with me in the sense of, I definitely have defied the odds. <laughs> you know, I was born a statistic and I didn't remain one. You know what I mean? I, yeah. I grew up, my mother was 15 when she had me. 
I was raised by my grandmother. We were raised on grand, on, on, on welfare. I didn't know my father. I, you know what I mean? Like in the, you I mean, so I mean, I, I grew, I grew up, like that's how, that was the lot that I was, that, that I was born into. It's not where I remained. I also, you know, my grandmother always taught me that, told me that just because I was a poor black girl from the Bronx didn't mean that I couldn't be anything or anyone that I wanted to be. So I'm gravitating towards women and roles that are kind of like that, like Eleanor Holmes Norton. I mean, she's, I don't mean to refer to her as a role, but she is someone who defied the odds or defied societal um, boundaries or whatever, growing up in a segregated South and going on to Yale Law and be having this storied career as a civil rights attorney and then a, and a, and a congressman. You know, look, she was a badass when being a badass as a, as a woman or a badass as a black person or a badass as a black woman was a dangerous thing. And yet she did it. So it's sort of like I'm starting to see a, a connecting, a, a connector. Yeah, there's obstacles out there. I'm going to figure out a way to get over through them. And that's pretty much how I live my life. So it's seeming like the characters that I'm kind of moving towards are in that space. To me, anyway. Or that's where I want to go. And that's in different, that's in different, all different types of experiences. Like one, one thing that we're, 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 um, I mean, I guess, I guess I can kind of say it. I mean, it's not etched, it's not like a done, done deal yet, but like, no, I can't say it yet. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> no, no, but I'm gonna, no, but as soon as I can say it, I'm gonna circle back to y'all because we can, yes. we'll, we we're want the exclusive. Yes. Like, you don't understand, like, I am, just to kind of like take it off of me for a second in terms of my career, da, da, da. I am just so proud of what you're doing. Oh. And here's why. Because like, when we made like, all right, cool, cool, we're going to do this, great, great. I remember sitting back and I was just like, oh man. One of the great things about the times that we live in right now is technology and how this brings us all together, right? As much as I was like, I don't know about Twitter. Like, these are the reasons why it exists to connect people, to bring us together. Like, that brought us together, right? Yeah. I was a black girl nerd growing up, and I felt so alone. And I felt I didn't really have this camaraderie like this. Do you understand? Yeah. Um, and I spent a lot of time by my – I mean, I had friends and stuff, and it wasn't really until I went away to school. I got a scholarship to boarding school – and that when I went away there, that's when I sort of like in terms of like socially kind of like, oh, wow, OK, I can connect with whatever, whatever. But really, I mean, I spent a lot of time like I used to read encyclopedias for fun. I like, <laughs> I, like I mean, I was a nerd. I did really well in school and I felt bad about not felt bad, but I like I wanted to be cool, man. I wanted to be I wanted to be the cool kid, not the smart kid. Yeah. Not the nerd kid. Because like, you're a nerd. You know? Mm-hmm. I wasn't bullied. I felt like I was more invisible. Yeah. Ooh, yeah. That was You me. know what I'm saying? Yes. Mm-hmm. It's like, I don't even know what's worse. <laughs> I mean, they both suck, but it wasn't like anyone picked on me. I don't even know if they saw me. I didn't see myself. And, What's so fucking awesome about 
the times we live in is that this black girl nerds exist or I see black kids on skateboards. I'm like, oh, my God, I'm just so proud. I'm so smart. (laughs) Yes. Where we can be, we're not this... We're not this monolith, this monolith, right? We're not, we're all do the same thing, say the same thing, wear the same shit, talk to, uh, no, but we can all be, you can still be black, but you can still express yourself in the myriad of ways that there are out there to express yourself and find community with others to, so you don't feel so alone. You don't feel like a freaking freak. And that's, I mean, freaks are cool, but when you're a kid, being a freak ain't necessarily cool as shit or feeling like you are an outcast or feeling like you don't belong or feeling like no one understands you or feeling like you're alone or feeling like, you know, no one gets you. So I'm just like, I'm like, damn, I wish this, I wish black girl nerds were around when, I mean, that's a different time, right? We didn't have, we didn't have the internet. So weird. We didn't have the internet then. Yep. <laughs> um, but you know what I mean? Like, I, 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 I did meet more of black girl nerds when, you know, in, in high school and stuff, but, but you know what I'm saying? Like it, it was a very lonely, being a black girl nerd was a very lonely experience and a very lonely place for a really long time. And then again, even when I, I went to this like really competitive, this, like I went to this boarding school in Connecticut, like this super hard, competitive, predominantly white, waspy, rich boarding school. And I got a scholarship there and I went there and I thrived. Right. But still that need to be cool would kind of peek its way in every now and then. But over there, see, I had to be you know, being smart and being all those things, whatever. Like I, I could actually indulge in those things there. But I spent a lot of my life trying to be cool and trying to live down that nerd shit. You know what I'm saying? And it's only been like in the I don't know, I guess in these years of, of having a deeper relationship with myself where I can actually be like, no, I'm actually, yeah, I can own that. And seeing young women such as yourself really embrace that and just black folks in general embracing just being, liking what you like, doing what you do and, and, and reveling in that and celebrating that it is so fucking awesome. So I'm just so happy that I finally got back into Twitter and I finally figured out how to look on DMs and shit. And I finally saw your freaking <laughs> DM. And I'm like, oh my God, I hope you still want me. Of course. <laughs> it's like, you know what I'm like, it's just, I don't know. It just, it just really, really warmed my heart. And to see you doing so well and just like, I, I mean, I, like I can say proudly as a soon to be 42 year old woman that I'm definitely a black girl nerd and I'm really proud of it. That's not something I would have said when I was 10 or even 12 or not even 15, 18. It's all adjustment, you know? So that's my, that's my little, that's my little whatever. Oh, that's awesome. So in that case, and just for what you just told us about you being a black girl nerd and what that, what kind of story has it been created yet that you would love to see created with you starring in it? Hmm. Well, I would. Hmm. Well, like, have you thought of something like, uh, Oh yeah. It, yeah. Like, no, like, I, yeah. I've got a lot of shit. Actually. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it's, it's like, that's a, that's the next thing for me. Producer. Well, I write. My one of my best friends, one of the smartest women I know, we formed a production company. Love and 
we have a, nothing's dropped yet, but we have a lot of projects in the work. I'm also writing and I have a, you know, collaborating on different things with, with some other talented writers and stuff and, and also doing my own stuff. So I, I'm working that out. Nice. I'll have to give you the exclusive. Yes. Yes, please. <laughs> yeah. 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 But, um, I think for me, acting is a part of what I do is a part of my expression. It's not the be all end all. It's a part of my life the same way I have, to, I just have to be creative. I have to, whether it is acting or I've got the clothing line, so making things or I'm writing or producing or putting things together. To me, that's all a part of this awesome, awesome, like orb of creativity. It's not like I, I mean, there's definitely people who are like, look, I act. That's what I do. I think it's, it's, it's a way for me to express is it's one way that I can express myself. That's how I, is how I look at it. And it's also been the thing, the same way that modeling was a stepping stone to my acting career. Acting is a stepping stone for me to express myself in the written word or express myself in a way of, of, of producing or, or putting projects together. Yeah. I'm definitely going to like, I, I've got some stuff in the works. I can't, I can't say it now, but like I said, you get exclusive boo. (laughs) (laughs) So I love it. We only friends, you guys. I mean, come on. Yes. Yes. I mean, you're already in the club just by being a black girl bird itself. But like, I love that you embrace that so much. Yeah. So this is Joy. I'm going to refer to myself as the other Joy for the rest of the interview. Hi, Joy, Joy. <laughs> joy, Joy, I like that. Joy, that Joy. Is my, that is actually my nickname in my household. Like, my dad still calls me that, so that's quite funny. Aw, Joy, Joy. Yay. <laughs> so other than us having in common Joy, our names, I also grew up in the Bronx, born and raised. Where, where? Okay, so I grew up on Randall Avenue, so like I'm ne- I'm like in between Soundview and Castle Hill. I grew up not far from Yankee Stadium. I grew up 165th and Clay Ave, and then we moved to 167th and College, which is like right over from like Morris. I actually have, you know, on the Bronx Walk of Fame on the Grand Concourse, I have uh, it kind of went up, I think, on. 2011 i have i'm like i got like one of those like little street signs it was on the corner right by the courthouse on 161st and grand concourse but then someone told me they moved it down on 149th street which i'm like "Mm." (laughs) i didn't know he was gonna do that but okay what i love about your kind of growing up outside of being in the bronx is how a part of kind of the bronx culture you are so you did Phil's enrichment program. I also mm-hmm. did Phil's enrichment. No, you no way. Yes, I did. Really? Yes, I did. <laughs> Mr. Thomas. Yes, Mr. Thomas, Mr. Raymond, Miss Julia, oh, who's yeah. actually my aunt. So yes. No way. Oh, yes. we're totally friends, Joy. Joy. Yes. <laughs> I, was, I was super excited to interview. I was like, oh wait, we got Bronx royalty guys. Like, <laughs> into this. You're <laughs> very excited. I um, love. So my question for you is, how did your Bronx upbringing, you can say New York, but we're going to talk about the best borough. How was your Bronx upbringing? How did that shape you both as a black woman, but as well as an actress? Like, how do you, you know, one thing about us being from Bronx is I joke about it, but we're, we are friendly, but we are very prone to be ignorant. So how do you bring that uh, professional, wonderful 
Hollywood setting. Well, you know, I think, again, like, kind of going back to what I was saying in terms of, you know, being born a statistic but not remaining one. You know, like, you know, where we grew up, people didn't really expect much from us, right? You know, you look about, like, I mean, I grew up in, um, when I was born in 74, so, you know, the, the Bronx was still burnt down <laughs> in many places. I think that there was still a sense of community when I was coming up and a pride when I was coming up. I mean, again, like, like my grandmother said, you know, that place, for all its difficulties or all the craziness, whatever, made me who I am in the sense that, like, I, I came from good stock. I came from an environment that was tough, but taught me so much about life and myself. And that still, that pride rings true because people are like, also, oh, um, where, where, where are you from? I'm like, oh, I'm from the Bronx, but I live in LA. And I've been living in LA for like 15 years. <laughs> and I still say that. Well, I'm from New York, but I live in LA. I'm not like super rah-rah, super like tough girl or whatever, but you grow up in the city, you grow up in New York, you grow up in the Bronx, or you grow up in Brooklyn. There's a certain kind of, um, with itness that you just have because you have to have that in order to navigate that world. Yeah, I don't know. I think I take great pride growing up in the place where hip hop was born. <laughs> and that's the shit. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, raise my hand or praise you don't understand. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, pride in that. And one of the craziest things that happened to me was when we were doing Get Rich or Die Trying. We were filming that up in Toronto for um, a few months and then, or a couple of months, and then we, then we moved down to New York. And I still have family that still live in the area, right? And I knew that we were going to be shooting in the Bronx. I thought we were going to be shooting like right, like right next to Yankee Stadium, which is still like that's like that area is like, I mean, I lost my virginity there. I almost drowned in Malali's pool. I used to run, you know what I mean? Like that area already is, is a like trip down memory lane. Mm-hmm. But I, so I got picked up. I was, I was actually staying in Manhattan at my friend's house. I got picked up by, by transportation. They, they're bringing me up to the Bronx and I'm like, wait, wait, why are you going this way? And they actually got off on the cross Bronx right off by the projects over on um, Webster Avenue. I was like, wait, why are you going this way? I kid you not, we were shooting in my neighborhood. Like, we were shooting, like, well, it wasn't like, like my neighborhood, like, like, it was like, I grew up on 167th in college, we were shooting like 160, like, 8th or 9th in like, Clay, but that's like around the corner. I mean, I, I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I mean, it's not like I hadn't been there, because, I mean, I just saw, I just went to my uncle's house, I don't know how, like, when the last time I was in New York, like a few months before that, you know what I mean? So, not like I hadn't been back there, but to come back to the place that I grew up in, in that neighborhood, to come back to that, and I'm shooting a movie, was like, I couldn't, I couldn't really, I couldn't, I, I just like, I just almost turned into a puddle of just like, <gasps> like, not being sad at all, but just being so overwhelmed with just the moment of like, holy shit, this is my life. Like looking at, they had kind of commandeered this this restaurant in the corner, as sort of like our like video village or home base or whatever. And I was just so emotional 
and I, I was trying to tell the director, like, I, I'm like, I, you don't understand. Like, I grew up, I, did, I can see my, my uncle's house is right over there. Oh, yeah, yeah, great. Well, because no one, you know, everyone's focused, no one's care about my, my nostalgic, my sort of, like, emotional breakdown, breakthrough shit. No one cares about that. They're trying to get the damn shot. And I'm just like, uh-uh-uh. And there's a wonderful gentleman who's playing my friend. I, I can't remember his name right now, but he was playing my friend in the scene where where 50 kind of runs up on me as an adult or whatever on the block. And I was just like, listen, I just like, as my scene partner, I said, I just have to speak out to you right now. I was like, I'm freaking out. And not in a bad way, but like, this is where I grew up. And now I'm back here as an act, like I'm acting in a movie that's being shot where I grew up. I never thought, I don't even understand what the hell's going on right now. And he was like, just breathe. And it's okay, right? I'm like, yeah, it's okay, it's okay. He's like, just breathe. And just like, now enjoy it. And I was like, oh. and at that point, like my cousins and I, like, everybody had come over because they, they were like, oh shit, you shooting over there? I thought you were shooting my, I'm like, no, I'm shooting down the bottom. And then everyone comes and my trailer's right across the street from one of my friends from junior high school and like, I'm meeting his, and it was just like this crazy, 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 most beautiful, I, I'm trying to find the word that describes what I was feeling, but I can't still all, day, all these years. But I just remember this. I mean, it was in the summertime and it's really hot. And they had like the, you know, the fire hydrant was on. And there was this little girl who was, was playing, um, they had a fire hydrant with some other kids. And she must have been about like, you know, nine years old. And I swear to God, I was like, that's me. That was me. And just to sort of make that connection, I was like, that was me. I was, I was her. I was her. And I just hoped that that girl and others like her, had a chance that she too could be whatever she wanted to be. That just because we grew up there and people didn't expect shit from us or didn't expect anyone to come out of there, that you can. And one of it doesn't mean that you have to go to Yale. You have to. You have to be an actor. No, it's not. It's not about you know the sort of exotic or the sort of like you know those kind of ideas of like success. I don't mean that. But it's just like whatever the hell you want to do or whatever you want to be however you want to live your life, that that you have the choice, you have the chance to do that. And that, for me, brought it all home. And that's one of the, the most beautiful and uplifting moments of my life. And, you know, one of the things that makes me really grateful and happy to be doing what I'm doing in the way that I'm doing it. Yeah. That was a tangent. I appreciate it. <laughs> yeah. it, it. It meant a lot to me, so thank you. Thank you for listening. Yes, thank you yeah. so much. I I feel like this is a very intimate, like, yeah. conversation, and we yeah. learned so many things about you okay. that we didn't know that you were a black girl nerd growing up. So that was great. Ah, you didn't know that. You wanted me to be on. You didn't know that. I didn't. No. No, I mean, it's, it's very how nerdy I am. I translated the Aeneid for two years. Oh, wow. Wow. That's fucking oh, nerdy. Cool. That's <laughs> fucking nerdy. I was president of the Latin club. I won the Latin prize at graduation. I was really nerdy, y'all. Like a boss. Yeah, <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah. <laughs>
Well, Joy, thank you so much for for coming on our show. Can you just let us know what current projects, again, that you're working on, what we should be looking out for, and give us your social media shout outs and where we can find you on the web? I think I'm still on. I think Rosewood is still airing episodes and stuff that I'm on. So Rosewood on Fox and I start on uh, Amazon's Good Girls Revolt, which will be airing in the fall, like in October ish. And in the meantime, um, I am, uh, what am I? At Real Joy Bryant. I wish my, I wish my social handles were all the same thing, but at Real Joy Bryant on Twitter and then on Instagram, I'm Joy B-Z, B-E-E-Z-Y. Yeah. And then like, if you like cool shit that's comfortable and, and everything, I've got a clothing line, Basic Terrain, basicterrain.com. I, I would like to offer you ladies, why don't you go on the site and check out our, our, our Eden pants, our wrap pants, and let me know what kind of, you know, colors and things. I'll like to send you a little package. Ooh. Well, so you. Yeah, because I kind of feel like, I don't know, you know, I feel like you would really, there, everything's really comfy, chic, like you can dress it up, dress it down, like really soft materials and, and really easy breezy. So if you're into that kind of shit, then this is your kind of shit. <laughs> that's, that's right up my lane. I like that. <laughs> I like that. Awesome so yeah, really. so just like email me, like like do a group email. Just tell me, you know, go on a site and um, pick out some pants. Hey. And if there's anything else, or whatever, you know, hook it up, hook it up. All right. Oh, Joy is our girl. Thank girl, you. Right Thank you. <laughs> Black girl nerds. I love it. Whoop. Thanks so much, Joy, for coming on our show. It's an honor Thanks, and a pleasure. Ladies, it's so much fun. Thank you so much for inviting me and having me, and I'm looking forward to doing it again. Awesome. All right, well, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get together and connect. You yeah. too. Yeah. Thanks so much. This was awesome. Thanks, ladies. Have a Bye, great Nerd night. Fan. All right. Bye, Nerd fam. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Bye. Misha Green is a TV writer and producer, best known as the creator and executive producer of the Underground Railroad series, Underground. Green has previously worked as a writer on Heroes and Sons of Anarchy, and also a producer for Helix. Together with Joe Pekaski, she created Underground, which premiered on March 9, 2016. So I am here with Misha Green. She's the co-creator of Underground, a groundbreaking series, by the way, on WGN. It trends every week on Twitter on Wednesday nights at 10 p.m. Eastern time. You can catch the show. And I'm excited to talk to Misha because I am a huge personal fan of the show. I live tweet it. So, so Misha, first of all, thank you for coming on the Black Girl Nerds podcast. Thank you for live tweeting. We all have so much fun every Wednesday night on Twitter looking at everybody's reactions. So. Absolutely. I, I'm curious to know, how did you come to develop this series, Underground? Well, you know, my sister actually one day was just like, you should do a show about the Underground Railroad. And I was like, you know, it would be a great title, Underground. And I <laughs> never thought of this title, so I got really excited about that. And you know, we, I knew stuff about the Underground Railroad, but once I started researching, it really was like, 
that situation where you treat a stranger in a fiction, like you couldn't, you couldn't make up this stuff, this ingenuity that enslaved people were using to get the country of Madison Miller, and it was such an epic story, and I knew that I wanted to do it with somebody, so Joe Bukowski, my co-creator, we had worked on Heroes together, and I approached him, and he was like, I know nothing about the Underground Railroad, and he started researching too, and that's kind of just where it started, and I think, you know, in the process of our research, what we realized, which is, you know, more than just wanting to do a story about the Underground Railroad, there was this kind of void of people who were enslaved not having a voice in the material that we had seen before in this time period. So we got really excited about giving these people voice and understanding what it really, really meant for those who were enslaved. Wow, that that's amazing. And there's so much context to the story, and you add a lot of that when you're on social media. One of the things that I enjoy most about live tweeting this show is that you give these really interesting factoids about the history and the context of various scenes. And as a history nerd, I really appreciate that. <laughs> so um, yeah. do you did you ever expect a show like this to have the kind of Twitter audience that it does? Yes, to be honest. I think that, you know, black Twitter is taking over. So I definitely knew that this show was going to have a lot of conversation going on online. You just never know how it's going to be perceived, you know. And I think that the love we've seen on Twitter has been fantastic. And it's that feeling where you're like, I know there's something I want to see. Hopefully it's other things other people want to see too, so... And I know that this might be a difficult question for you to answer, but I have to ask, do you have a favorite character on the show? And if so, who is it and why? Oh, it is. That's such a difficult question to answer. I think part of the the reason our cast is so big is because when Joe and I were writing these characters and researching, we just kept finding stuff that was like, oh, that's an amazing story thing. We have to tell that. We have to tell that. But I think, in a way, they all are my favorite characters. And literally, they change every episode. One episode, Rosalie's my favorite. Next episode, Noah. Then Miss Ernestine. Then the Hawk. So, I-, I love them all. That's how I feel about it from one episode to the next. But then, like, something really tragic happens to a character that I love, and then they die on me. So it it feels sometimes like there's a Game of Thrones um, situation going on with the storyline because you get so attached to one of the characters and it's a, you know, a primary character and then they they die, they get killed. Did you find that it's difficult when you're you're writing the script with these characters that we've managed to connect with from one episode to the next that it's hard to to write them off? I think it's it's hard you know, I have a cold heart. I have an icebox, as Omaria said, right? <laughs> my heart used to be. But I, I think that, you know, the unfortunate truth of the matter is that a lot of those who were enslaved who ran were caught or killed. Yeah. And I think that we did want to be, you know, there's always a fine line. Like, we're definitely, we've always said we're not telling the story of occupation. We're telling the story of a revo- the revolution. But the revolution included a lot of blood. And I think it was important to us to show how difficult this was because the simple act of stepping off that plantation is probably the bravest thing anybody could have done. And I think when we look back, we, we 
have a tendency to say, oh, I would have just run. What do you mean? Like, what? how is that complicated? That's what you would do. And I, I want, like, to us, it was important to see that the, the mental effects of slavery, of mental slavery, and as well the consequences that this bold choice took. But it is sad every time, you know, and I think that when you watch, We've watched episodes now with an audience and seeing the audience react to you can't help but react even more to it. Yeah, absolutely. And there's so many shows and, and films and content out there that are about this uh, historical period of our past. And I wanted to know what your thoughts were and, and what words do you have for critics that sort of just feel like, well, not another slave story again. What, what do you have to say to them about underground in particular and why it's important to show stories about what happened during slavery? You know, I think that, honestly, I don't, I don't buy into not another slave story. I feel like there hasn't been enough stories about the nuances of what happened while um, African Americans were enslaved or this time period. So I welcome those stories, but just people who are afraid to watch Underground because they don't know if they could handle that week to week. We've already said again that it's not about the education, it's about the revolution. These are about people with personal agency who are the superheroes of their time. Really, this decision to run 600 miles is so hard. You have to be so brave to do it. And we really wanted to highlight to those who were left behind with the consequences of those people's decisions and those people who were helping along the way. So, you know, I, I say watch the first episode, and if you feel that don't feel that way, I can't do anything about it at that point. <laughs> you know, but I think it's an empowering story, and it, it makes me definitely proud to know where we came from and where we were going. And for the TV viewer out there who has not yet watched Underground, what would you tell them to get them to watch? Get them to watch Underground. Um, you'll be surprised every week. It's a thriller. It's a character-driven thriller. You know, I, I just, it's hard to say what to say to get people to watch Underground. I think you gotta you got to take a chance and watch it and then go from there. What would you say to people who have not watched Underground to watch it? I would say that it's action-packed that the performances are stunning, that, like you said, it's a character-driven story. And also, you don't know what to expect from each character's motives. Uh, I think that's what draws me the most, is once I figured, or once I thought that I had a character figured out, then some new plot twist happens, and I'm like, whoa, I was not expecting that. So, yeah, like, for example, the, the recent relationship between... Cato and Rosalie and uh Cato is he's a character that I just from one episode to the next I I don't know where he's coming from so having those kind of surprises is is what intrigues me and I would tell people if you want to see something that's unexpected and unpredictable and that just goes against the grain then that's the show you should be watching nice see that was perfect so Okay. It's one of the biggest things we talk about in the room, and it's one of the things I love the most when I watch things is to be surprised and then to think, wow, there's no other way that could have just went, but I didn't think about it until the moment it happened. 
Right, right. With a show that has such heavy material, what's the atmosphere like on set? The atmosphere on set is fantastic because I think everybody, you know, all of the actors, a lot of them came after us for these roles. So everybody felt the importance of the project. They were excited about the project. And we all kind of rallied around each other because we were down in Baton Rouge shooting and we were dealing with tornadoes and lightning every day. And it was not the, the best weather for shooting, but we were all down there with a purpose, I think. And so it was exciting because we all became a little family. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, and with some of the material, obviously, it needed that kind of support as well. So everybody kind of rallied around each other to, to make those heavier scenes a little less heavy. Right. And I just want to say, you know, props to you um, and Joe Pekowski for the episode where it was all told through the perspective of the children. Each sub storyline had a perspective from uh, each child character from the show. And I don't think I've ever seen that in television before. It, it was pretty revolutionary, at least for me as a, as a TV watcher, to see something like that. So I just want to say kudos to you guys for, for pulling that together because that was brilliant writing. That's very cool. Thank you. We were very excited about that episode. We talked about from the beginning we wanted to do one episode all from the kids' perspective because, you know, you see this time period depicted and you never see any kids. And it's always interesting to me because I think a lot of, you know, issues of um, racism and all of that stuff, it's large traits that happen from seeing what's going on around you. And I was like, well, that's never been explored. We should definitely take the time, which TV is a long, longer form, so you have time to take those kind of detours in the story, and that's one we're very proud of. Any hints or clues as to what we'll expect in the season finale? Uh, be surprised. I would say <laughs> be surprised. Uh, I just watched the season finale again and I was like oh oh yeah I was even surprised a little bit I was like I forgot that happened um it's gonna be a good one for sure awesome well tell us where we can find you on the interwebs and also give us your social media shout outs where we can find more about what you're doing and also underground our social my social media shout outs um I'm on twitter and Instagram at Nisha Trill XXL. Um, the most kind of Twitterist name I could think of. <laughs> and uh, also check out Underground at Underground WBN and have use the hashtag and tweet with us on Wednesdays. It's always a blast. Thank you so much, Misha. Malik Forte is a video game award presenter, YouTube blogger, and writer for Nerdist.com. He's most known for his series of Nerdist videos under the moniker and Twitter handle Malik for Play. Welcome to this segment of the Black Girl Nerds podcast. My name is Jamie. I am your host. Very psyched to have this guest on. If you are a gamer, you will really be psyched for this, and you probably know him already from this very popular website and community called Nerdist. We have Malik Forte. He is the gaming editor over at the Nerdist. And if you checked out Nerdist Play, you can see a lot of his videos there. Malik, thanks so much for coming on our show. 
No, thanks for having me. It's an honor to, to join you guys. Absolutely. It's a pleasure to have you. And we have co-hosts KB, Kayla, and Gabrielle. Thanks, ladies, for coming on. You're welcome. <laughs> Thanks for having us. <laughs> Thank you. So, Malik, you are the gaming editor over at The Nerdist, and you curate a great deal of content over at Nerdist Play. And you basically yes, get to play and talk about video games all day, which is, like, the best job ever. How Pretty much get- a dream job for most. <laughs> How did you get started over at the Nerdist, and, and what got you into gaming? My mom. My mom got me into gaming. She just like set a video game console in front of me as a means to keep me out of trouble. It ended up becoming a passion of mine. So, yeah. Parenting. Good parenting got me into gaming, which is, uh, I guess, kind of a counter what the normal stigma is. Because I guess a lot of parents don't like their kids playing games, but my mom, was, she was on the opposite side of that fence. She definitely was very uh, proactive about getting me the new game consoles and encouraging me to play and stay in the house and off of the streets and out of trouble. So it ended up working out pretty well because it became a career for me later in the future. Oh, that's so sweet. Was your mom actually playing games with you growing up? Sometimes. Sometimes she played with me. For the most part, she just watched me, though, and she'd poke fun at me for losing. I guess as a means to, I don't know, motivate me to win. I don't know. Video games are kind of my entry to like a true trial and trials and tribulations and problem solving and things of that nature. I kind of learned about all that more so from video games, you know, at a young age. And so that way, when I hit those patches in life where, you know, intense decision making was necessary, I was prepared because of my uh, crazy video game background and my mom's taunting me from the couch <laughs> trying to get through like the tough levels in Mario 3. That was a really tough game, by the way, Mario 3, compared to the other ones. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's, it was one of the tougher ones. People say Mario 2 was that, that hard one, but I, I would beg to differ. Yeah, yeah, agreed on that. And, you know, here at Black Girl Nerds, we have a diversity in gaming series, and I think it's very important to feature people of color making their own games and working in the industry, such as yourself, do you think that the landscape has changed for marginalized people in gaming? And how important is diversity to you as a gaming editor? It is 100% important to me. It, it, it was always weird, because I've been going to like a lot of these gaming events for a while. I think I'm like almost hitting a decade in this industry. It was just always weird going to these events and just kind of like being that only guy or that only colored person in the room, or that only minority. It was always a strange feeling. And, you know, I I think now I've grown to the point where I'm so focused at what I'm doing, I don't really pay attention to that. But, you know, there there is always that constant reminder. You know, there is always that, like, that looming elephant in the room when you're, like, the only this or that. Like, I imagine a lot of women have felt that way for a while, too, you know, being the only woman in a room full of guys and, you know, just you know, trying to blend in and contribute. You want your opinions and your work to be valued just as much as everyone else. You want to be considered as, you know, a peer, you know, as opposed to someone who's different. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's very important because once, you know, you have diversity, all that stuff goes out the window. You just focus on what's important, focus on the games, you know, focus on, you know, the content, focus on whatever, you know, it may be. I mean, my my goal, you know, with what I'm doing in my position and whatnot is to kind of serve as an access point and help more people who 
or like me, you know, get involved and be a part of this because, you know, I feel like video games are all encompassing for sure. And there needs to be an accurate representation of that in every side of video games, be it from the media side, from the business side, you know, when you have people who are doing marketing campaigns and, you know, working in advertising or even the game development side, the people who are making them. I feel like there should be, you know, diversity in each aspect of video games. So, yeah, definitely 100% important to me. Hey, Malik, it's KB. So you just mentioned that your mom got you into gaming to help keep you out of trouble. So what was the very first video game that you fell in love with, and how did this game or another game influence your career? The very first video game I fell in love with was... Man, that's tough. Because I, I don't know. It's, I, I can remember my early days of gaming. I just have fun with pretty much everything I played. I think I had the most fun, though, with this game called Streets of Rage 2 on the Sega Genesis. Yes. I feel like that's, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a classic right there. I feel like that's the first game where like, like I would just sit in the house you know, and play nonstop if I could get away with it for days at a time. Like My weekends would go. I would... uh rush through my homework to get to this game. I would do things, I would do unspeakable things to make sure I got to play this game, regardless of if I got in trouble or not, <laughs> because I was that addicted to it. And mind you, I hadn't been playing games for a while because I owned a Nintendo. I played the RoboCops and the Chippendale Rescue Rangers and all those licensed games that came out on Nintendo. I enjoyed them all, all the Mario games. But I think it was Streets of Rage on the Sega Genesis when I finally was like, yo, like, I can seriously just like live my life, just a normal life where I just play video games all the time and be just fine. Can I just say that Streets of Rage 2 had the best soundtrack ever? Yes. <laughs> yeah, hands down. From the select screen yes. to the boss fights, it, it had the best soundtrack. Like, there, there's nothing that comes close to it. And you remember all the songs. Like, exactly. I can walk up to pretty much anybody who's played that game and say, hey, could you hum the like theme song to the the first level for me and everyone nails it pretty much i'm sure you could do it right now if you wanted to (laughs) malik what's a hidden passion of yours that most people would be surprised to hear i think that well i don't know if i I, if people would be surprised about the music thing because i i think that's pretty out there for a lot of people like a lot of people who've been keeping up with like at least what i'm doing they know that I uh, used to make these like crazy uncharted raps like way back in the day. So then if they dug deeper, they'd find out that like, oh yeah, Malik actually produced music and used to be like a writer and has like actually written like radio top 40 hit singles in his career. But um, I mean, I guess maybe that is something that a lot of people don't know is I, I did used to work in the music industry and I got very deeply involved and I worked with like some pretty famous pop stars doing some engineering, songwriting, things of that nature. So, like, I work with the Will I Am's and some other people who I just would rather not name because they're uh, not necessarily on the top of my friends list. But, yeah, there are, uh, I would say music would probably be that. Thing. Or my deep involvement in mus- the music industry would be, uh, and I would call it a passion because I, I love music. That's, for me, kind of like the way I recalibrate you know, being in Hollywood on a daily basis and sometimes reading teleprompters when I have to, a good way to kind of get in touch with me again is music. You know, it kind of 
keeps me honest, so to speak. Awesome. Okay. Hello, Malik. Hey, how you doing? Good. How are you? I'm doing excellent. <laughs> We're halfway through the week. <laughs> I know. Uh, hope days. May the fourth be with you. You recently went to Pack East, right? Yeah. I was there. I was there. I was with my mom. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, I brought my mom, Aww. my little brother, my little sister. So much fun. <laughs> That's <laughs> awesome. I really want to go really bad and also do what you did, which is lead a panel discussion with Nolan North in them, right? So how was that? Yeah. Oh, it was amazing. Like, I think the highlight of it, besides doing the actual hosting of the panel, was my mom got to follow me to, like, pretty much everything I was doing. So she got to come up to the green room beforehand. And I just sat there and I watched her get into this, like, long conversation with Nolan North about just, like, old school hip hop. And <laughs> it was just, it was pretty amazing because I was just kind of like, dang, like, Never in a million years imagined happening. My mom having a conversation with the voice of Nathan Drake. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. No, it was it was amazing. Like the Master of Orion game. I mean, it's one that kind of holds some weight with me because I used to watch my cousin playing it when I was growing up, and I never understood what it was. But once he explained it to me, it was like my entryway into the strategy game genre. So I went on from there to play games like. Age of Empires and Civilization and Starcraft and things of that nature. So it was kind of cool that they, you know, even considered me to be the person to kind of lead the panel there, you know, because that, you know, that game kind of had some definite like memories in my mind. And I mean, actually doing it was fun. I mean, normally when I do panels, you know, I'm, I'm moderating for like, you know, game developers and they, they, they get pretty technical. So, you know, there's a lot of, quiet moments and lulls where I'll have to like step in and talk. But when it came to these guys, I was just able to ask them questions and just let them go. You know, I didn't really have to do much work. And I mean, honestly, I would have been fine just showing up to that panel and moderating it for the developers. But having those, those dudes there, those voice actors, man, it was, they, they definitely made it a lot easier on me. My job was pretty much a non job with those guys. Cause I just read my questions and just sat back and let them go. Let them rift. Awesome. And did you get to see any cool gadgets or like get your hands on any of them? I mean, yeah, all the VR stuff is pretty cool to me. Uh, I, I really wasn't a big supporter of VR, but uh, the HTC Vive, I feel like every time I lay a hand on it and try a new game on it, it's it's a, an experience. There's that game Rod Atta. I, I got to try a new build of that, and that, that game's looking amazing. If you've if you've never heard of it, it's basically a virtual reality simulation or a training simulation where you're put inside this like dojo and you're handed a katana and a pistol and a bow and arrow and you have an an onslaught of robots walking in your direction and your job is to just dispatch them all. Really easy, really fun. You get quite the workout doing it and it's all in VR and yeah, there were a, there were a lot of cool demos like that there at PAX and and my favorite thing about PAX, of course, is the indie mega booth. So walking through there and seeing all the cool games they have in there was awesome. There was a game called We Are Chicago, which basically puts you in the shoes of a Chicago teenager living in Southside Chicago, which wow. if wow. you know the story of Southside Chicago or if you've been there, you know how that is. It's not necessarily the most rosy story. So it's kind of cool to have like a VR. Somebody who is from there kind of take that story and take that experience, put it in VR and uh I think a lot of people who are more privileged 
who try that uh, respect that you know whole situation a little bit more. So yeah, there were a lot of cool things like that uh, at PAX. Cool. Thank you. Nice. Yeah. Hopefully you get to go. Hopefully you get to go because PAX is it's getting big and it's that's and you want to go back to diversity. I'll tell you this: when I was at PAX, it's one thing my mom said a few times. She was like, "Wow, there's not a lot of black people here." Which to that's me, what I heard. I was yeah. like, "Well." I've been going for years and I was like, hey, there's a lot more than I'm used to, you know, but that said, she was right. You know, like it's something that I definitely want to see more diversity. I want to see more people of color coming out to events like that. You know, like I said, I feel like gaming, you know, is it's it's all encompassing. There should be, you know, a pretty accurate representation all across the board. Yeah. Jacqueline Coley, who I believe you met at South by Southwest. She's a contributor here at Black Girl Nerds, and she had went to PAX East, and she was just like, I can barely find any cosplayers to take pictures of to get coverage for the site, you know, because it's, it's really super, super white, I heard, at PAX East. I've never been myself, but it was kind of difficult for her to find some blurs there repping over at PAX East, so hopefully that'll change you know, in future years to come. And I heard that they were really excited that Black Girl Nerds was there to have a presence. So that's good. Yeah. Yeah, shoot. I, I was happy. To <laughs> I was happy. to. I, I'm always happy. Like I said, it's, it's just good to know that, you know, that you're being represented anywhere. And, uh, you know, I, I, I feel like there's, I mean, I, I'm always happy to be a person that's representing, but it's it, it feels so much better when there's more. And I'll run into folks like I ran into Mega Rand. He's a hip hop artist who Love does him. like nerd. Yeah, he's he's great. And then I ran into I ran into him, and then we were talking like in the middle of the show floor, and hip hop gamer walks up, and so we had like a reunion of like blurs all like in the middle of the convention center, just all of us just there. And I was like, this is cool. This is cool. There's only a few of us, but we're all here in this in this section. There should be more. <laughs> yeah. Nice, Kayla. Hi. Like you said, you've already talked about diversity diversity with gaming. Where would you like to see companies take that in the future? What's your hope for that? I mean, my hope is that it gets to a point where like race isn't even a discussion. When we say the word race, we're thinking of the thing that people do when they compete speeds, you know, <laughs> when it comes to gaming. So like I want to see their like being, you know, companies out there that are all black companies out there that are all diverse that have representation equally of all people. You know, I want to see there that being like, I want to see games that are developed that can resonate more with the urban community, you know, because they're being made by people who are from those communities. I mean, that's, that's kind of what I, I hope for. And I mean, from my end, I guess I'm, I'm doing what I can. Cause like, I mean, me and my friends, we're starting our little own, our own little thing that's, you know, targeted toward like the urban demographic and people who, you know, grew up either under the poverty line or just in a situation where, you know, they were the minority. I think at the end of the day, well, what we'll end up seeing is, you know, across the board, there's just going to be an, an equal representation. It's not going to be overnight. It's going to take a while. There's still a lot of gatekeeping that happens in games. It's, it's difficult because there's just people like this is the one thing I hate. I hate when people we shouldn't, you know, we shouldn't want to see there be more diversity or who call me racist for even bringing it up, you know, for, like, why is it happening? Why are you playing the race card? Cause I'm like, well, there's an obvious like misrepresentation here. You know, there's, there's an obvious such like, a white person thing to say. <laughs> yeah. I know. 
I know it's, it is, and, it, and I hear it. I hear it quite often when I bring it up, and I'm like, "Come on, man, you got to get off the high horse." You know, if you don't get off the high horse, I'm gonna have to hop on a unicorn and sell over you. <laughs> because at this point, I'm just I'm sick of hearing that, and I'm trying to move forward and progress, and that's what we need to do. We need to make this all encompassing. So, my dream would be there to be companies that are you know that are just head to toe diverse to where it's not even a conversation that's being had. And that's on every side of gaming, even in the fandom, you, you know, because I, that's another thing, too. Like, you know, like when it comes to being a fan, like when I was growing up, I was a huge video game fan. And most of the guys on my street, albeit wasn't the best street to grow up on, but they were fans of video games, too. And I'm still friends with those dudes. and They're still fans. So, like, I know for a fact I'm not a unicorn. Like, I'm not just a, I'm not one person who exists that in the hood who just so happens to like games there's a lot of people who are like that there just needs to be more representation across the board and more people out there who speak to those folks i feel like for me it's been kind of hard getting the ears of a lot of those guys the guys who are like me because of uh you know my situation but like i said i'm trying to work to change that so hopefully people who come across on the internet will feel more inspired to do stuff we can move forward what are some upcoming games that you are excited about? Cool. Uh, I am playing Overwatch, the beta. I, I was, that's what I've been no lifing, uh, as a play. Yeah, that game's it's, it's too good. It's too good. So I've been no lifing that. The, the open beta starts tomorrow. I'll be no lifing that as well until the game actually releases later this month. Uncharted 4, I actually beat that last weekend. I'm excited for Doom, the new Doom. Because it's such an old school like franchise, and they they're kind of going back with gameplay mechanics to like Unreal Tournament, you know the old school first person shooters that I grew up playing. So I'm super excited about the full game when it comes out. Also, Fallout 4 the DLC coming out. This is going to be their biggest Fallout DLC expansion ever with Far Harbor, and I'm looking forward to that. So I'll be sitting down for that one as well. I think that's it. I think that's it for games I'm excited for for this month. But I mean, there's a ton. No Man's Sky comes out in June. Pump for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's just too many, too, too many to recall. But those, those are the the ones in the immediate future that I'm looking forward to. Excellent. This is great. I I learned a lot on this discussion, and I want to thank you so much, Malik, for coming on our show. But before you go, can you just let our listeners know where they can find you on the interwebs? Give us your social media shoutouts and any projects that you're working on. Yeah, for sure. Uh, you can find me at Malik, M-A-L-I-K, foreplay, number four, P-L-A-Y, pretty much anywhere. That's Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, PSN, Xbox Live, Steam, Skype, <laughs> anywhere. My name is Universal, so Malik, number four, P-L-A-Y. You can catch me on Nerdist.com. Uh, I'll be writing articles, doing videos here, and I won't be stopping that anytime soon. However, my title as gaming editor is going to be shifting pretty soon. I'm going to be taking more of a reduced role here at Nerdist because I'm moving on to cover esports for this website called Bleacher Report, which is a sports website. They're branching out into esports. And uh, given that my entire career, my entire reason for being here is because I started off playing competitive Rainbow Six. Uh, it only seems right that I can kind of push my career forward going back into like the whole esports thing. So. I'll be taking a couple days a week, going down to the studio in Hollywood, getting on camera and talking crap about esports because that's how my career started. <laughs> <laughs> it only seems right. And yeah, so yeah, that's my next thing. And then of course, 
I have a podcast with my friend Michelle Morrow called Status Effect. You can find out about that if you're following me on Twitter. And last but not least, the thing I was talking about earlier that I started with my friends, go to crewham.com. As of next Friday, me and my friends from across the country are all banding together to start our own little thing, targeted toward the urban demographic, completely video game inspired, but we don't limit ourselves to just that. We're pretty much just opening up a conversation for anything, be it music, be it just the current events. We got a presidential election coming up soon, so we'll probably be an access point for that as well. But uh yeah, crewham.com, something to keep an eye out for, keep an eye out for the Crewham family. If you've gone to any convention, I'm pretty sure you've seen somebody walking around with a Crewham fitted cap on at some point. So that's just guerrilla marketing for what's to come next. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Great Thanks for having me. Thank you. Thank you. You guys take care, all right? All right. Have a good night. Keep up the good work. Bye. 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 Bye